Hello there and welcome to the Autonomic Tarot Collective podcast. I'm George, I'm a musician who uh, records under the name Cunning Folk. I'm also a folklorist and I'm interested in kind of weird and esoteric stuff. This podcast is mostly going to be a kind of talk on the history of tarot and the story of where the tarot cards came from and a little bit about uh, the history of cartomancy and divination. I think I'm going to be going into a little bit more depth about that in the next uh, in the next year or so, once a month. Anyway, I drew a card today and the card I drew was uh, Nine of Cups upright, which is known by lots of people as the wish card. It's a good card to have. It means that a dream might come true. My dream last night was that I was having a really nice cup of coffee and that has come true. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into this talk about the tarot. Tarot cards are among the earliest known playing cards. The earliest evidence of the tarot comes from the courtly circles of northern Italy in the 1440s. It's speculated that the pack was invented there in the 1420s. Its only indicated use at the time was as a game. The game of tarot is a trick-taking game. It was the addition of the trump cards and the fool to the four suits of number and chord cards which constitute the invention of the tarot pack. The first tarot diversified into a large family of associated games still played in parts of Italy, France, Switzerland, Denmark, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Czechoslovakia and Slovenia. Tarot was formerly played throughout Europe, excluding the British Isles, the Iberian Peninsula and the Ottoman Empire. Decks of tarots which made their way to England before the late 19th century were curiosities, so different from the ordinary decks used in the British Isles at the time. To understand the history of the tarot, it is helpful to have some context on the history of playing cards as a whole. Playing cards were known in China from the 9th century AD. Contemporary Chinese historians noted that paper playing cards developed in connection with the development of book format from score to page. Chinese people were playing with cards with four suits from the 15th century. China is also the birthplace of dominoes, which originated around the 9th century, which may have been played in card as well as in tile form. It's more likely that European playing cards originated in Egypt or Mediterranean regions, likely influenced by Chinese cards coming along the trade routes. There are no written references to playing cards until the end of the 14th century. There were books written on gaming and gambling before then, but they omitted to mention cards at all. Pretty much the earliest written reference on the subject is in an accounts book kept by Charbot Poupard, the treasurer to the household of the French King Charles VI. It's an entry dated 1392. Poupard wrote... Given to Jacomin Gringonneur, painter for three games of cards in gold and in diverse colours, ornamented with various devices on behalf of our Lord the King for his sport, 56 Paris sous. There are similar references to gaming cards in account books of other European nobles of that time, and references in contemporary manuscripts to a new game throughout Europe so it can be reasonably assumed that playing cards were first used in Europe in the mid-14th century. According to a 15th century Italian writer, in the year 1379 was brought into Viterbo a game of cards which comes from the country of the Saracens and is with them called Naib. 
Saracens were Bedouin Arabs living in what is now Iran and Iraq and the surrounding area. Other contemporary writers claim that Cards came into Spain with the Moors, another Islamic people who also used the word naib for card. The Spanish word for card is naib. The Muslim prohibition on gambling and pictorial representation is said by some to make it less likely that cards came from Bedouin or Moorish sources. However, Mamluk cards are more reminiscent of Islamic calligraphy and design than of pictorial representation of the time. There are also Egyptian decks of 52 cards dating from the 14th century which have a distinctive oriental design. The often repeated claim that Romany gypsies brought playing cards into Europe is hard to verify or to discount. The Romanies did not reach the Balkans until the mid-14th century, around the time that playing cards arrived in the continent. Certainly by the mid-15th century, playing cards were being used by Moorish gypsies for fortune-telling and picture cards were being made for educational purposes. Tarot cards predate the more familiar French decks by about 50 years. The Latin suits of the tarot are swords, clubs, cups and coins. The French suits are spades, clubs, hearts and diamonds. Playing cards first arrived in England in the 15th century and the designs were similar to the French decks. By the 16th century, the design of 52-card decks was recognisably modern. Tarot's are 78-card packs which fall into two groups. The first group is 56 cards of four suits, the coins, the cups, the swords and the clubs. In each suit there are 10 pip cards, number cards, four court cards, the king, queen, knight and knave, and the ace. The second group is of 22 trump cards, also known as the atou. They are numbered 1 to 21 and the last card, the fool, is typically unnumbered. The design of the trump cards, the atou, seems to have originated in the 14th century. There is no prior record of tarot cards. It's often said that tarot is part of a lost hermetic art passed down from ancient Egypt. There's no physical evidence in Egyptian records or inscriptions of such a connection. Magical literature on the tarot dates from the early modern period onwards. We'll look at where this Egyptian connection with tarot came from in a little while. There is a set of cards surviving from the 15th century called Tarocci di Mantegna or Carta di Baldini. These cards date from 1485 and are full-length figures in a pack of 50 divided into five sets of 10. Each set is assigned an alphabetical letter and numbered 1 to 50. As the numbers go up, the sets run down from E to D to C to B to A. Set E shows the social station in life from beggar to pope. Set D shows the muses and the arts. Set C shows the sciences. Set B shows the virtues. And set A shows the planets. The cards were printed on thin paper, so were unlikely to have been gaming cards. They were likely used for educational purposes. The Duke of Milan played with such cards at around about the same time. Some speculate that the tarot is an amalgam of educational cards, like the Tarocci di Mantegna, and gaming cards that the trump cards, the atu cards, were initially instructional cards joined to the other cards of the four-suited pack. 
The etymology of the word taro may be from tarote, which describes the oriental markings on the back of the cards. There are many possible derivations of the word taro. It's a subject of a lot of speculation. We'll discuss this over the course of the talk. The reason for the choice of subjects of the trump cards as they now appear on tarot is lost in time. Maybe they really were concerned with religious and moral and other subjects topical to the late medieval period. The trump cards, the two cards, are number one, the juggler or the mountebank. The mountebank is a confidence trickster. Two, the female pope or high priestess. Three, the empress. Four, the emperor. 5. The Pope, 6. The Lovers, or Marriage, 7. The Chariot, 8. Justice, 9. The Hermit, or Old Man, 10. Wheel of Fortune, 11. Force, or Strength, or Fortitude, 12. The Hanging Man, or The Hanged Man, 13. Death, or Untitled, 14. Temperance, 15. The Devil, 16. The Tower, 17. The Stars, 18. The Moon, 19. The Sun, 20. Judgment, 21. The World, and 22. The Fool. The names of the trumps and the order depend upon the author of the deck and the language of the deck. While the Tarot has 78 cards, there is a deck from Florence which has over 97 cards, 41 trumps with the additional cards depicting the 12 signs of the zodiac, the four virtues and the four elements. There are additional unnumbered cards. These Florentine cards are from an early date. Tradition states that they were invented by Michelangelo to teach children arithmetic. Games were played with the Florentine deck right up until the 19th century. The early tarots painted by the previously mentioned French court artists of Gringonneur were closer to the modern trumps. Traditional tarot cards are still in production since tarot is played as a game in parts of Italy, France, Switzerland, Austria and Germany. French-made packs are usually called tarot de Marseille. This differentiates them from the other more modern tarots. There is a Swiss traditional pack which has a more ancient appearance than the French one. Northern Italy has the Piedmont tarot and Bologna has its own tarot called the Tarocino which has 62 cards instead of the normal 78. There is a Sicilian deck called the Taraco Siciliano which has 64 cards of a slightly smaller dimension. The tendency of tarot decks to shed cards over time in certain regions is seen in Austria where you get a 54 card deck likewise in Germany and in Eastern Europe. The first continental printing press was the Gutenberg Press, made by Johannes Gutenberg in the mid-15th century. This technology was a force multiplier on the popularity of gaming cards in Europe because their manufacture was made significantly easier and cheaper. It is no exaggeration to say that the tarot holds a pivotal part in the story of modern Western occultism. The tarot became central to occultism first in France and then later in England and the United States over the course of the 18th, 19th and 20th centuries. 
modern cartomancy arose in the 17th century. Packs of cards were shuffled, dealt and spread in prescribed formats for telling the future. The earliest instances of tarot cartomancy are believed to have been in Bologna. The modern form of tarot cartomancy derives from the 17th century French fortune tellers who had been using piquet cards. Divinatory meanings were assigned to the cards of the common piquet pack, which had French suit signs. A piquet pack has 32 cards in it. You can remove the deuce, the three, the four, the five and the six cards from a normal pack and you have a piquet pack. The French national game of Bellotte is played to this day with a piquet pack. A particular mid-18th century Parisian fortune teller by the name of Jean-Baptiste Alliette, who went by the name of Etelier, is reported to have transferred his piquet cartomancy over to the tarot. By the mid-18th century, gaming with tarot cards had been superseded by the French 52-card decks and the piquet decks over much of France, and so tarot seemed strange and exotic. Fortune tellers like Atelier infused the tarot with occult science and romance of the unknown. New French tarot decks with more cosmic themes began to be designed for the specific function of fortune telling in the second half of the 18th century. The origins of the understanding of the modern occult tarot can be traced to an essay in 1781 by Antoine Cord de Geblin and a companion essay by the Comte de Millet. Cord Geblin fixed the origin of the tarot in ancient Egypt and identified the tarot as a symbolic book of Thoth, the Egyptian god of wisdom and magic. Cord de Geblin also was the first to link the tarot with the Romanes and credited them with carrying the tarot out of Egypt and spreading it around Europe. According to Geblin, the word tarot was from the Egyptian root words for the royal way, Taros. He believed that the tarot was a sacred book of the Egyptian priesthood in which was concealed under the cloak of symbolism all of their esoteric wisdom. The companion essay by Comte de Melet also supported the Egyptian root of the tarot. In his essay, he explicitly connects the trump cards with the Hebrew letters and arranges the trumps into three groups of seven coupled with the fool, to which he assigned the zero. Comte de Millet also compared tarot with common playing cards and wrote about the uses of cards for divination. The 18th and 19th century French tarotists used the traditional French tarot, the Tarot de Marseille, as their basis and took the ordering and numbering of the trumps specific to the Marseille deck to be the definitive tarot ordering and numbering. They were either unaware or did not care that everywhere else in Europe had a different trump order. This occult French numbering and ordering of the tarot trumps was inherited by many future tarotists, in other lands. In the 19th century, French occultists like Eliphas Levy and Papus and many others adopted the theories expounded by the 18th century essayists and made the concepts central to their philosophies. It did not matter to the 19th century occultists that the 18th century essayists had no obvious factual basis for any of their conclusions. Such is magical thinking. The 19th century French occultists gave Egyptian names and descriptions to the trump cards of the tarot and a set of 
tarot cards based on these descriptions was made, called the Egyptian Tarot, which is still used. The French occultists focused on the Hebrew connection to the tarot as well, associating the tarot with the four Hebrew letters of the name of God, the Tetragrammaton. The highly influential 19th century French occultist Eliphas Levy believed in a universal astral fluid linking every thinking being that retained memories of persons who were powerful in life. He believed that the 19th century spiritualists were not in contact with the dead, but were actually reading from the astral record, an astral library of consciousness. Levy believed that this astral current was shown on the two of coins in the Marseille deck of the tarot, that the two circular emblems are connected and entwined by an S-shape that separates and at the same time attracts the two polaric seats. These complementary points are marked by a lotus flower with a halo. Levy wrote that men and things are magnetised by light like the suns and by means of electromagnetic chains whose tension is caused by sympathies and affinities. They are able to communicate with each other from one end of the world to the other, to caress or to strike, to wound or to heal, in a manner doubtless natural but invisible and of the nature of prodigy. Levy believed that the tarot was an extremely powerful occult system by means of which one can communicate with the seven genii of the spheres and the 72 wheels of Asaya, manifestation of Yetzirah, creation, and of Briar, emanation. These Kabbalistic wheels were angels, personification of God's 72 names. Of course, there are 78 cards in the tarot. It has been observed that Eliphas Levy loaded additional Egyptian symbolism to the tarot and assigned further Hebrew letters to trump cards. As we see in this talk, as the understanding of tarot cards passes between people and generations, the tarot cards appear to collect symbolisms and meanings from those who have engaged with them. Building on prior experience, it feels very much like an occult folk process. The French occult tradition crossed the channel to England in the late 19th century due primarily to the formation of an occult Rosicrucian society known as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Through the teachings of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, the occult tradition was elaborated on and passed over the Atlantic Ocean to the United States and to Canada and around the world to English-speaking countries. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is in no way connected to the modern Greek extremist political movement of similar name. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was founded by three high-level British Freemasons who believed in magic. They decided that the magic of the ancient world was not just an oddity for historians, but could be revived and practiced by living magicians in modern times. The founding of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn coincided with a wider popular occult revival in the form of the spiritualism movement, which began in the mid-19th century in New York State, and also the theosophical movement, uniquely 
the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn emphasised practical magic, whilst Theosophy taught an occult philosophy based upon an amalgam of Western and Eastern law, and Spiritualism was about contacting the dead, the Golden Dawn taught a curriculum of practical ritual magic inspired by European occult thought deriving from the occult traditions of Egypt, Greece, Rome and Israel. The Jewish occult system of Kabbalah was central to the magical practice of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Also central to their magical practice was the Tarot. The founding members of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, Samuel McGregor Mathers, W. Wynne Westcott and William Woodman, had high regard for the French occultists, particularly Eliphas Levy. Samuel McGregor Mathers in particular brought Tarot into the Golden Dawn magical practice. Samuel McGregor Mathers translated The Book of the Sacred Magic of Abremelin the Mage from a French grimoire from the Bibliothèque de l'Arsenal in Paris. This translation was hugely influential on English occult tradition, teaching a practical ritual method for establishing communication with the spiritual presence known as the Holy Guardian Angel. Samuel McGregor Mathers was married to Mina Bergson, a talented French artist, and he himself was fluent in French. Mathers and Moina, Mina changed her name to Moina, created the Golden Dawn Tarot. The Golden Dawn Tarot was based on hints in the cipher manuscript, a manuscript obtained by one of the co-founders of the orders, and by channeled spirit communications McGregor Mathers and Moyna obtained via planchette, pendulum, and direct conversation with spirits. The Golden Dawn Tarot was hand-copied by high-ranking members of the order, who used it for divination on questions posed by a method known as the opening of the key. The original Golden Dawn Tarot was not publicly said to have survived. However, there are descriptions of the cards and of the meanings McGregor Mathers ascribed to them and the card layouts they used. The Tarot became the centrepiece of the system of practical magic developed by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. McGregor Mathers drew upon the teachings of French occultists like Levy, and linked the tarot to the Kabbalah. Each of the 22 trumps was given a Hebrew letter, as they had been given by Comte de Melay and Levy before him, but in a different order. Innovatively, Mathers also ascribed the trumps to the pathways or channels on a Kabbalistic design called the Tree of the Sephiroth. This design graphically represents the emanation of the universe in 10 stages and 22 connected links. The number cards were assigned with the 10 stages of the emanation of the universe, and the court cards were also assigned places upon the tree. The tarot upon the Tree of Life Sephiroth is central to modern Western occultism. By linking the trump cards to the 22 Hebrew letters and the number cards to the 10 emanations and the four suits and the four chord cards to the tetragrammaton, Mathers created a complex series of symbolic connections which arguably augment one another in a subtle and infinitely various way. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn system of magic was practically laid out. 
and the members of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn were influential figures who went on to write their own books and articles on Western magic and the tarot and formed their own magical societies. The result was widespread acceptance of Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn concepts. Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn alumni like A.E. Waite and Pamela Coleman-Smith and Alastair Crowley all furthered tarot systems. They were sworn to an oath of secrecy to never reveal the occult teachings of the order, but somehow many occult concepts originating in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn muddled out into wider culture. The Waite Coleman-Smith tarot deck was originally published in 1909 by the Ryder Company, a British occult publishing company. I will talk about this in a little more detail later. Alistair Crowley created his own Thoth tarot based upon the designs of Mathers and Coleman Smith. The works of the French occultists and of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn influenced the Russian mystic P.D. Uspensky. Uspensky's analysis of the tarot was based on the 19th century French occultists that the tarot originated in Egypt, where the trumps were preserved in a pillared gallery underneath the Sphinx in two parallel rows of eleven. It has been said that Uspensky was a pessimist. At the height of his sequence of trumps, the soul, having attained the highest level of wisdom, finds only suffering. It cannot reconcile what is small with what is great in its own nature. This is a very bleak view of transcendence. Most mystics teach that after a period of trial, there is bliss on the other side. In parallel to the occult tarot developing in France and England, there was a fortune-telling tradition developing using common playing cards. In France, they used the 32 cards. In England, they had the English method using the full 52-card deck of playing cards laid out in rows of nine. It's not recorded exactly when this divination began, but it's speculated that it began in the early 18th century. The English method relies on folk interpretations of the cards which have been documented in the 19th and 20th centuries and are consistent over time. The English method of cartomancy influenced both Mathers and A.E. Waite when they were theorising about tarot meanings. Folk meanings of the tarot differ from esoteric meanings in purpose and in derivation. Fortune-telling is typically for guidance in matters in a person's life. Historically, cartomancy was considered by misogynists to be primarily the preserve of women and undignified. Tarot divination by occultists was intended to awaken and to expand spiritual awareness, to enable astral projection, and was used as part of ritual magical actions. It is hard to say where the folk meanings of playing cards originated. The basis is lost in generations of vernacular culture. It is, however, easier to work out the derivations of the occult meanings of the tarot as they are justified by associations and symbolism and often credited to specific authors. It is interesting to see how central tarot has become in Western ritual magic in the space of 250 years, bearing in mind that Western ritual magic has been documented since at least the 10th century. 
perhaps this relatively recent appearance helps to date the arrival of tarot cards in Europe. I would once again mention that the timeline of commercial printing and playing card mass production is likely to be a factor in the spread of tarot, cartomancy, etc. I'm now going to go into a little more detail about a few key texts and personalities previously mentioned. Let's start with The Game of Tarot by Antoine Cord de Geblin. This essay appears in Antoine Cord de Geblin's The Primitive World, analysed and compared with the modern world, a nine-volume work published between 1773 and 1782. Cord Geplan's essay established tarot as a repository of esoteric wisdom originating in ancient Egypt, disseminated throughout Europe with the Romanies. The essay connects the 22 trumps with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and places the fool at the head of the trumps. The cards in all of the illustrations in Cour de Geblin's essay are in opposition to the Tarot of Marseille card orientations. This is speculated to be an error in the printing process. Antoine Cour de Geblin was born in the early 18th century in Nîmes. His father was a prominent Protestant Huguenot and the family fled France because of Catholic persecution. Antoine grew up in Lausanne, Switzerland. He became a pastor and taught philosophy and ethics. He returned to France in the mid-18th century after the death of his father. He became a prominent Freemason, and members of his lodge included Benjamin Franklin and Voltaire. Antoine Cordgeblin was a believer in the therapies of Franz Friedrich Anton Mesmer, and was found dead in a bath on May 10, 1784, after undergoing one of Mesmer's treatments which involved the application of electricity. His unofficial epitaph translates thus, Here lies poor Geblin, who spoke Greek, Hebrew, Latin. All admire his heroism. He was a martyr to magnetism. According to his essay, the Egyptian book that escaped the flames which devoured their libraries exists and has been in the hands of everyone for centuries in the tarot. The book consists of 78 layers of tables divided into five classes. Throughout this essay, tarot is referred to as a game. I like this. Uh, life is a game. You are always playing, whether you think you are or not. There are rules you need to find before the rules find you. De Geblin goes on to say that there are 22 trumps and they in general represent the temporal and spiritual leaders of society, the physical leaders of agriculture, the cardinal virtues, marriage, death and resurrection, and creation, the various plays of fortune, the sage and the fool. So Geblin understands that these cards are allegorical pictures relating to the whole of life and susceptible to an infinitude of combinations. After discussing the symbolism of the trump cards, uh, de Geblin describes how to play the actual game, how the game can be regarded as a game of political geography with lessons engraved upon each card. He appears to compare the tarot to I Ching, speculating that perhaps they were formed according to similar theories. 
he compares the tarot to horseback tournaments where nobles would play war games in five teams and compares these five teams to the four suits and to the trumps. De Geblin then goes on to compare the tarot deck to contemporary Spanish and French card decks. He speculates that the Spanish deck was inspired by tournaments and that the French deck of cards was inspired by the Spanish deck. And then he goes on to quote a contemporary French essay saying that playing cards originated in Spain dating from at least 1330. The essay briefly talks about the application of tarot to divination, claiming that the Egyptians applied the game to divination and how the same use was transmitted down to gaming cards. Some cards were linked to Egyptian and classical deities. Three of coins is called the Lord or Osiris. Three of cups is the Sovereigness or Isis. Two of cups is the cow or apis, nine of coins is mercury, ace of batons is the snake, the Egyptian symbol of agriculture, the ace of coins, the one-eyed or Apollo. De Geblin goes on to speculate that the one-eyed is applied to the sun and that Odin, who lost his eyes also by this logic, allied with the sun. So that's a brief summary of the game of tarot by de Geblin. It's an incredibly influential essay. Let's move on to A.E. Waite and Pamela Coleman-Smith. Arthur Edward Waite constructed a tarot with Pamela Coleman-Smith in 1909. Pamela Coleman-Smith was introduced to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn by the poet W.B. Yeats in 1901, and she met Waite there. When the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn split due to personality and magical issues, Smith left with Waite to the independent and rectified rite of the Golden Dawn. A.E. Waite did not hold with the Egyptian origin theory of the tarot. He associated the deck he designed with Pamela Coleman Smith with the decks of cards associated with King Charles VI of France. As with many occultists, Waite concentrated his efforts on the trump cards. He prioritised the trump cards over the number cards and the court cards. However, in the deck that he designed with Pamela Coleman-Smith, there were individual pictures on all of the lesser arcana suit number cards. This was highly innovative and has led to greater symbolic interpretations of the lower arcana in the following centuries. It is interesting to note that Waite linked the High Priestess, the Popes Trump, with the pre-Christian goddess, perhaps a vestige of the old Astarte cults of northern Italy. Waite was hostile to the common belief that the card was linked to the medieval legend of Pope Joan, the female pope who was said to have been exposed as a woman whilst presiding over a public ceremony. Waite rejected Kabbalistic links to the tarot. He was also hostile to much of the French 19th century occultist ideas about the tarot. This did not leave much. The Rider-Waite-Smith tarot is the most popular and widely used tarot pack in the world. This is Waite and Coleman-Smith's legacy. The 78 illustrations that make up the Waite-Smith tarot deck represent archetypal subjects that each become a portal to an invisible realm of signs and symbols believed to be channeled through processes of divination. They are original works of art and unique in terms of the card's stylization, draftsmanship and in composition. 
Waite is often cited as the designer of the Waite Smith Tarot, but it would be more accurate to consider him as half of a design team with responsibility for the major concepts, the structure of the individual cards and the overall symbolic system, because Waite was not an artist himself. He had to commission Smith to create the actual deck. It's likely that Smith worked from Waite's written and verbal instructions rather than from sketches, that is, from detailed descriptions of the desired designs. This is how illustrators often work, and as a commercial illustrator, Smith would have probably been comfortable with such a working process. It appears that Waite provided detailed instructions mainly or exclusively for the major arcana and simple lists of meanings for the minor arcana or pip cards. Thus, the memorable scenes of the Minor Arcana owe largely to Smith's own invention. The Minor Arcana are indeed one of the notable achievements of this deck, as most earlier tarot decks, especially those of the Marseille type of deck, have extremely simple pip cards. Smith's innovative illustrations for the Minor Arcana, with their rich symbolism, make the Waite Smith deck a widely imitated model for other tarot decks. Smith and Waite drew on a number of sources as inspiration for the deck's design. In particular, it appears that Waite took his inspiration for the trumps mainly from the French Tarot de Marseille. Although the oldest date from the 16th century, his reference deck was probably from the 18th century. It's not unlikely that other Marseille-type Italian tarot decks from the 18th and 19th century were used as additional models. For the pips, it appears that Smith drew inspiration from the 15th century Italian Solobusca tarot. The Three of Swords, for example, clearly shows the congruity between the two decks. In addition, there is evidence that some figures in the deck are portraits of Smith's friends, notably actresses Ellen Terry, who was the Queen of Wands, and Florence Farr, who was the World. Smith completed the art for the deck in six months between April and October of 1909. This is a short period of time for an artist to complete such a job. The illustrations were most likely done in pen and ink, possibly over a pencil underdrawing. The original drawings are lost, so we don't know. They were either coloured with watercolour by Smith or coloured by somebody else, after the fact. While Waite claimed to be sceptical of the French occultists' ideas of the tarot, he was the first person to publish translations of the writings of Eliphas Levy. In 1886 he published The Mysteries of Magic, Included in the selection of translation was an extensive amount dealing with the tarot, taken largely from Levy's Dogma and Ritual de Haute Magic, the well from which modern occult tarot was drawn from. Those unable to read the French texts were able to access Levy's theories for the first time through this. So you could say that actually Waite was the first person to publish anything on the tarot in the English language in England. Moving on to Samuel McGregor. Mathers. Samuel Liddell Mathers was born in West Hackney in 1854, where his father was a merchant clerk. After the death of his father, Mathers and his mum moved to Bournemouth, where they stayed until her death in 1885. 
Mathers was devoted to occult studies. He became a Freemason in 1877 and a member of an esoteric Masonic group called Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia in 1882. Upon his mother's death, Mathers moved to London, where he spent much of his time studying the occult in the British Library and the British Museum. He had no career outside of magic and appears to have lived in poverty. This is very different from many occultists who were often wealthy, or at least started wealthy, before becoming poor. Mathers claimed to have held an army commission. There is little evidence of this. He assumed Scottish ancestry, inserting the name MacGregor before his surname, when in France he called himself Comte de Glenstray. He could impress esoterists and magicians, and he was friendly with Madame Blatowski, the founder of Theosophy. She liked him in spite of his application of ritual magic. Mathers was one of the founders of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. In 1888, two years after Waite published The Mysteries of Magic, Mathers published a booklet called The Tarot, Its Occult Signification, Use in Fortune-Telling and Methods of Play. It was the first discrete work about tarot occultism and cartomancy published in Britain, and it was sold for five shillings with an imported tarot deck. The booklet introduced tarot divination to the British public for the first time. As previously mentioned, the work extensively drew from French occultists including Cour de Gablin, Atelier, Eliphas Levi and others. Mathers wrote without evidence that Gringonin, the painter who made playing cards for Charles VI of France, was an astrologer and Kabbalist. Mathers proposed that the etymology of tarot was from an Egyptian word, taru, meaning to consult. This word cannot be found in Egyptian English dictionaries. Mathers established the names of tarot cards in English. Trump 1, the magician. Trump 2, the high priestess. Trump 5, the hierophant. Trump 16, the lightning struck tower. Trump 20, the last judgment. Trump 21, the universe. The remainder were traditional names. Mathers did not use the terms major arcana and minor arcana. These terms were adopted later. He called batons sceptres. The term wands became more popular later. He called coins pentacles. This term was said to be in common usage at the time. However, Mathers was the first to get the name into print. Mathers' booklet was not illustrated and designed to be used with a continental tarot, most likely a tarot de Marseille. I will finish this talk with a short discussion of some of the popular modern symbolism associated with the tarot. Tarots are pictorial images of the forces at play in the world. The trumps, the atu, represent the unconscious forces associated symbolically with the lunar way. The rest of the pack corresponds to the solar way of everyday conscious life. The tarot is considered to be a complete system of divination. Its cards claim to represent all the fundamental forces at work in nature and in human nature. The infinite variety of life 
results from different combinations, patterns and sequences of these forces reflected in the random patterns and combinations of the cards. The 22 trumps, the trumps majeure, correspond to the 22 letters of the alphabet, which in turn represent the stations and phases of the moon. The moon stands between the single enduring essence of life and the multitudinous variety of this world. One could consider the trumps majeure as the archetypal base, the ingredients of reality. Individually, they can adequately depict the main forces and features at work in the world. They can be used without the rest of the pack, arranged in a simple cross, or how the user decides. The trump cards have been related to the spheres of life, fruit of the tree of life in the Kabbalah, as paths between the spheres, or sephiroth. The tree of life represents the dynamic pattern of nature. The trumps are closer to a person's actual journey, symbolizing shifting patterns of destiny. Inner unconscious processes are opposite to conscious processes. The ascending order of the trumps in importance from the world to the magician is reversed. The rest of the pack, the other 56 cards, represent this world of change and transformation, the conscious world of the extrovert sun. Four suits, four seasons of the year, four functions of the psyche that determine the course of life, the four periods of life between birth and death. The 52 cards of a normal pack of cards correspond to the weeks of the year. The four suits of 14 cards in tarot match the 14 days of the waxing and the waning moon. Pentacles, diamonds, childhood, sensation, earth, the beginning of the year from the rebirth of the sun when the days begin to lengthen, or the first seven days of the new waxing moon. Pentacles, a five-pointed star symbolic of the emergence from unconsciousness in childhood with the five senses. Wands, clubs, Youth, spring to midsummer, the flower of life, power, thinking. Cups, hearts, maturity, summer till autumn equinox, water of life, the vessel containing the forces of the cosmos and binding them together, feeling. Swords, spades, old age, intuition, the breath of life, the spirit, autumn equinox to midwinter solstice. As the nights lengthen, the conscious weakens and the unconscious strengthens. Creative intuition. Swords point up and down. Spades point down towards the unconscious and in the negative form to death. Changes in symbolism often reflect changes in the outside world, but this interaction is not easy to trace. So this has been a short overview of the history of tarot. It's proved to be one of the more challenging subjects to research and also one of the most fascinating. I will be continuing my researches and revisiting this subject very, very soon. Take care now, everybody, and I'll be back next month with a talk about Baba Yaga.